up, everybody? Welcome back to Hindsightless, the sporadic podcast where I talk about life, role-playing games, or whatever else might be running around inside of my head. But mostly role-playing games, because they're just really friggin' awesome. Well, I did it. I, I did it. I finally did it. I deactivated my Twitter account. The blind rat on Twitter, R.I.P., after five years, five years of being on Twitter, you know, before that, there was 40 years of me not being on Twitter. So in the grand scheme of things, it really wasn't all that long. But still, five years. I went on there originally to help promote Wheel or Woe, the podcast. And that Twitter account is still active, but I, I never go on there. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's been on the Wheel or Woe Twitter account forever. But the blind rat on Twitter came about to help support the Wheeler Woe podcast. And then once the podcast was done, I just kind of kept the blind rat going. But it's just, it's no fun anymore, man. Elon Musk has run that place into the goddamn ground. <laughs> I, I, it wasn't bringing me any joy anymore. And so I was just sitting there. Thinking, why am I still on here? I, I saw something that was just stupid. Somebody saying something stupid. And I was just like, what? What? Why? Why am I on here anymore? And so, boom. Deactivated my account. At this point, it's been about a week, I want to say. Um, yeah. I de- deleted it off my phone. Deleted the the bookmark off of my computer. So yeah, man, good for me. (laughs) Back off Twitter, which is my normal state of being is not being on Twitter. Like I said, 40 years off, five years on think, you know, it's good. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, I figure everyone I'd talk to on there. I also talk to on discord or other places. So it's really not a loss, but that's not what this episode is about. This episode is about all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about Wrath of the Righteous. We're going to hear awesome calls from folks that we don't hear from very often. We're going to talk about TJ's game of Hyperborea. Talk about cool vampire books. Talk about all kinds of stuff. So let's get into it. Let's talk about that Wrath of the Righteous session. So it's kind of late for a wrathful recap, but the reason it's late is because I thought tonight, which at time of recording is the day after my latest session of Wrath of the Righteous, I thought tonight I was going to be running uh, a Call of Cthulhu little, that mini adventure that we've been talking about, pitting a bunch of soldiers up against the Shoggoth, but that didn't happen tonight, unfortunately. So that's why this is so late. But holy crap, (laughs) there's stuff to talk about for Wrath of the Righteous. So let's do it. Yeah, as always, major spoilers for Wrath of the Righteous. Uh, We are currently at the final section of Book 3. The party is invading the Ivory Sanctum, which is where um, two of the chief architects of some of the bad things that have happened 
dwell. The party, through their different adventures, have come across clues that all point to a person named Jerabith, a demon named Jerabith, and a creature named Xanthir Vang. And they know that Xanthir Vang is an entity called a worm that walks. And yeah, man. <laughs> so anyway, if you recall, the party uh, last session had teleported themselves into the ivory sanctum. It was a really good plan. They made themselves invisible first. They teleported inside of the ivory sanctum and just with blind luck and chance, they ended up in a pretty advantageous place for them. A room, they teleported in invisibly. They were in a workshop. There were some cultists wearing robes, working on crafting like magical weapons and magical implements and stuff. The party took care of them pretty quick, but before the final... Uh, Cultist was slain. He managed to open the door and scream. The party pulled him back in. And then Nix the Bard used ghost sound to make a really loud monster roar coming from a hallway in another direction. And then slam, the door was closed. And that's where the... Um, that's where last session ended. And that's where this same session uh, picked up. I said, okay, boom, the door just closed. This cultist is dead. What do you guys do? Because I didn't know if they were just going to run right back out the door and see and just go helter skelter or what they were going to do. So the party, they decide they're going to sit in there and listen. And what they hear is they hear doors opening. They hear boots on the ground running. Then they hear a gross insectile voice kind of taking command, saying stuff like, you men, you go up and check out the vault. Make sure that creature hasn't escaped. You get back to your studies. You big dumb oafs, get out of here. There's nothing to see here. And then there's some silence. And then the party hears a knock at the door. <laughs> and they're like, holy crap, what are we going to do? This isn't what we thought. And the insectile voice whispers to them, have you finally arrived? Are you the ones we've been expecting? Are you here to kill everyone? Basically, he puts forth, it, put, it puts forth a, a bargain, says, look, I know you're here to kill everyone. That's great. But... Xanthir Vang wants to make a deal. If you kill Jerabeth for him, I can take you to her so you don't have to fight your way through the whole fortress. I can take you right to her. You kill her, you can make a deal with Vang. And so the party said, after much deliberation, because do you want to take a, make a deal with the demon and they open the door. The demon is this gross fly headed, nasty demon. Um, named Grib uh Grillexby. Grillexby is this demon's name. And yeah, so, super nasty. There's a really awesome picture of this creature. Um and so Grillexby, the fly-headed Coloxus demon. I think that's what they're called. Coloxus, that's probably not right, but it's close enough. I'm not looking at it right now. So <laughs> This demon, this fly-headed nasty demon, uh, after the party agrees to go with it, says, "Cool, yeah, I will. I will take you. I will take you to Jerabeth." And and 
totally absolutely does uh, um yeah they walk through the ivory sanctum as as the party follows this demon gilbrex grill 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 xb sorry uh <laughs> yeah they're the party's coming across other demons and grill xb is like you they're here on xanther's behalf we're going to see jeremy if you leave us alone blah 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 and they're like okay cool so the party goes and the fly creature takes the party to the door opens the door and is basically like oh i can do one more thing i can cast a spell and so I say, it starts casting a spell. What do you guys do? Some of them say okay. Some of them say no and make saving throws. But it casts haste on the party. So now the party has haste on it. And then the fly creature disappeared. As the door opens, it opens onto this massive bed chamber with a huge bed in the far corner there's a tub built into one of the corners in the center of the room like a bathing tub uh in the center of the room there's a torture table where you can strap somebody down in the the table can pivot so you can put someone in the standing position or lay them back down prone and on jerabeth's bed sits Jerabeth and I found this pretty awesome picture of this like sexy I don't know she said I thought so <laughs> like friggin magic using green haired or blue haired lady um, and on the bed with Jerabeth chained to the bed is this cultist who's been just eviscerated just all of his guts are hanging out just totally dead and destroyed jerabeth snaps her fingers all the blood's removed from her clothes she's super pristine and she's like oh hey welcome we've been waiting oh haven hi how are you randor good to see you back there oh hey nix hey subin um and Nyx is invisible at this point. Everyone else is visible, but Nyx had cast greater invisibility. So Nyx is still invisible, but Jerabeth is looking right at Nyx, right in the eyes, saying, Hi, I see you. <laughs> and so Jerabeth starts talking about how she's been the architect for so many of their woes throughout most of these characters' lives. Uh, she was the one that orchestrated the capture of Randor when he was a younger dwarf and, you know, helped the Vrock demons come up with this ritual that they were trying to use on Randor. And Jerabeth was the one who caused Nyx when she was a child to be caught behind enemy lines only to be rescued at the last second by Rushali. And Jerabeth was the one who destroyed Haven's body and left her covered in scars. And now here she is. <laughs> here she is. And she's like, I can help you. We can make a deal. I want Xanthir dead. If you kill Xanthir, we can make a deal. Haven, I can give you back all of your memories. I can let you remember everything. I can grant one of you a wish. Uh, let's work together. And <laughs> my favorite part was, let me rewind a bit. When Grillex B, the fly demon, before she left... <laughs> She looks at the party and was like, by the way, Jerabeth will probably try and make a bunch of deals with you and say a bunch of things. But, you know, you can never take the word of a demon. You can never trust the word of a demon. Right. And the party's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, aren't you a demon? And Grillix be just kind of shrugs and is like, yeah, peace. Good luck. <laughs> so there sits Jerabeth, beautiful, deadly Jerabeth. 
And she's trying to make deals in the party at this point. It's just like, nah, dog. <laughs> I don't think so. Let's do it. Roll initiative. Roll initiative. Jerabeth is nuts. She's mythic. She actually gets to go twice each round. She gets two full turns each round to try and balance out the action economy of fighting five to one, right? So she gets two full turns each round as a swift action. She can turn into her true demon form, which is this massive, massive horned pincher clawed demon covered in hair with a gnarly mouth full of sharp teeth and claws and pincher arms and just this big ass demon or switch back to her more human form. Um, and yeah, it's <clears throat> it's on. It's friggin' on. We roll initiative. I'm super nervous. I'm thinking somebody in the party might die. Even though it's really hard for a character to fully die as long as Subin is around because he has some crazy mythic abilities. And I'm not talking about just resurrection spells. One of his mythic abilities lets him use his healing spells on dead characters if they have just died, like within one round, basically. If he gets to them within one round, he can use his healing magic on them. And if it's enough to bring them back to life, it does. It might not bring him back fully conscious, but it can bring him back from the dead. And normally in Pathfinder, as with most RPG games, once you're dead, healing spells don't work. Stuff like Raise Dead or Resurrection can work, but mostly healing spells don't work. But Subin can make it work. But still, super nervous. Fight starts, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Party does a solid amount of damage on the first round, then it's Arushali's turn. And Arushali lets loose with her bow and just does a boatload of damage, <laughs> a ton of damage to uh, a ton of damage to Jerabeth, man. Just laid in for like over a hundred points of damage, I believe. And it's like, oh crap, man. <laughs> and Randor had run up and kind of grabbed onto her. And Haven is sitting there. Haven is giving half damage. Everyone that Jerabeth attacks, because Jerabeth is dealing out some damage uh, herself, right? She's dealing out damage, but she's only dealing half damage to everyone within a certain number of feet of Haven. And yeah, man, it, I was like, oh, crap. So she took, Jerabeth took a ton of damage on the first round. She changes back into her human form to give herself some space because her big form takes up about, I think, six squares i think it's a three by three square she takes up because she's that size but when she shrinks down she only occupies one square so she made some space for herself cast the spell heal on herself and if you know about i don't know how long the spell heal has been in but it's not like cure light wounds or cure serious wounds or anything like that heal 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 heals 10 hit points of damage per caster level. And Jerabith is a high level caster. So boom, slaps her in the face with heal back to basically full hit points. And I'm like, all right, she's back in the fight. Jerabith is going to start doing some of her awesome stuff now, ready to go. And then Chester said, no, <laughs> Chester said, no, 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 Jerabith. And Chester charges. <laughs> So, Chester, our halfling cavalier, 
on his dog mount um, wields a great axe. And in Pathfinder, a great axe crits uh, only on a 20, but it does times three damage instead of the normal times two. Chester also has a special ability that lets him double the damage on a charge with any weapon, not just a lance. Because normally you double your damage on a charge with a lance, but because of this ability, he doubles the damage on a charge with any weapon. And I think, I think you know where this is going. Chester charges, rolls a nat 20 on the attack roll, might have even rolled another one on the crit confirmation, crits with a times three weapon, ends up dealing something like 90 something damage, which then gets doubled. <laughs> Because he was charging for a total of 180-something damage. And basically just one-shots Jerebeth. Just chops her right in half with this crazy 180-something point damage attack. It was amazing. It was so, so awesome. I was a little bummed because, you know, the players had just met Jerebeth. And she's a dangerous adversary and they need her dead right away. And I was super pumped for them. But I've been living with Jerebeth for almost a year now. And I was so excited to use all of her tricks. <laughs> and she didn't get to use any of them. It was amazing and sad. But I was super stoked. And during that fight, some half-fiend minotaurs ran into the room and started attacking the party. They had to fend them off. Then some other demons teleported in. They had to fend those off. And that's where the session ended. We ended there. They had just killed the last demon that had just teleported into the room. They're sitting there now alone in Jerebeth's room. What's the party going to do? <laughs> what are they going to do? They know Vang is still in there. They saw other forces that they know are still in there. What do they do? It's going to be crazy. I can't wait to see what happens next session. It's going to be dope. We're going <laughs> to... You know, they they did a lot more than I was thinking we'd get done. Uh, yeah, we might finish the Ivory Sanctum next session. There's a there's a distinct possibility that we'll finish the Ivory Sanctum next session, and that at least all the fighting parts of it. And that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I can't freaking wait, man. All right, that's it for the raffle talk, though. Let's get into some calls. These first calls are from. Uh, our buddy Hobbs, man. We don't hear from Hobbs very often on this show, but he's called in because we played in TJ's game of Hyperborea together. And so, yeah, that's what Hobbs is talking about in these couple calls. So take it away, Jason. Joey, Ripter, it's Hobbs. Hey, man, had a good time with you last night playing uh, TJ's Hyperborea game. Um, couple notes i'm a little confused on the order of your podcast and sometimes calls and your responses seem out of order i don't know if that's normal i'm new to hindsight list but uh you know dig in your vibe bro and uh i wanted to tell you that it's astonishing swordsmen and sorcerers of hyperborea so you got the fighter and the wizard in there um yeah i do think it's built on uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, although I did have Jeffrey Telanian, the author of Hyperborea, and the two versions before that. 
on Hobbs and Friends some time ago in the distant past, and he said it was partially built on homes, which, eh, I don't know how much I believe him, but anyway, it is what it is. As far as uh, the setting document of TJ's, uh, of Hockham Gallium, it's pretty crazy, man. I, I felt like, which is, I think, totally normal, we're all kind of feeling each other out a little bit and trying to figure out you know, what sort of tone the game is going to have. Uh, I was leaning more, more on a serious or grim tone because that was the impression I got from the setting doc. Although TJ is kind of a goofy mofo for sure. But um, I don't know, I ended up with a uh, big hat and trout face mask for my character at the end. I had to leave a little early before we wrapped up. So I don't know yet what occurred but I'd be more curious to see and hear what the rest of the crowd thought concerning session one. Yeah, let me know, man. I forgot how to work my phone. Joey, Hobbs again. I think I just sounded like Evil Jeff. Anyway, uh, I was just calling in after I caught up finally, I think, Vampire Diet, I'm assuming, is your most recent episode because you were talking about your characters in TJ's game again, and uh, Connerly mentioned his character. I am playing uh, one of the few other spellcasters, a shaman from the jungles near the Mesa. His name is Tartuaga, and Tartuaga has learned about the behemoth giant turtle that uh, the town of Hopeless has been built against. And it is his belief that only through waking the turtle can we uh, survive the cataclysmic battle with chaos. And I have to admit, the spells that I rolled for Tartuaga were not that good either. But the single encounter that we had in session one, my brother, Two characters were successful fighting off the uh, the nasty gang that was accosting us. And the two characters who were successful were Tar Tortuaga with his Shalele spell and your character, Moonchild, with his Magic Stone spell. So, eat it, people. Eat it, and it's delicious. Thanks, Joey. See you later. Child, hear the mandrake scream. Hell yeah, dude. That was a crazy session, man. And Magic Stone absolutely came through from Miradon Moonchild Grim, as well as the Shillelagh from Tartuga. Yeah, the, the, the setting document is interesting, right? Because when I read it, you know, you mentioned the giant behemoth turtle that, like, this whole big town city is built on um yeah and that combine that with all the names i didn't get like a super gritty vibe i got like a more i don't know kind of crazy vibe. like there's a friggin' huge giant like city-sized turtle that was the kind of vibe i got but it was a fun session it's a great group like the group is really fun man so I'm glad we finally had a chance to play together. And uh, yeah, man, this next caller calling up right now 
wasn't at that session, but he'll mention it. So let's go to the other Jason. Hey, Jerry, Jason here. Listen to your latest episode. And, yeah, I hate that I missed that game, Hyperborea game. I was supposed to be in it, but due to work hours and things, I, I just couldn't do it. I do hope to get it next time. Looking forward to playing with that group and in that world. Because we're not using the standard Hyperborea world, right? It's a homebrew world using Hyperborea rules. And the homebrew world is way cool. Anyway, as far as the reroll mechanics and all that, you know, I, I still feel that way. Maybe in Pathfinder, when a reroll is called, do only mythic abilities, if it was narrated as, as time rewinding, then that might act, that might make it more acceptable to me. Who knows? But again, I'm not putting any games over it. And I totally get it with Seventh Edition, the idea you're trying something different. And, and that's fine. Again, I, like I say, for the Pulp Cthulhu that fits, I, I kind of think even standard Call of Cthulhu's turned more into Pulp Cthulhu these days than it was. I mean, even back in the day, it was get Tommy Guns and Dynamite. But I, I don't know. It, it's just, what it is, like we say, different tricks, different folks. I did not listen to your, your, your follow-on about the books because I do plan on checking those books out at some point. So who knows? Maybe by the time I get around to reading them, you'll have forgotten all about them. And so we'll have this fun show talking where about the books where I've read them freshly and you don't remember them. <laughs> but until then, peace out. Dude, we could basically have that show right now. <laughs> no, just kidding. I, I still remember most of what goes on. And I'll, I'll again, I'll wait till the very end. But there's one thing. Nah, I, don't, I don't need to talk. But there's one thing in that books that I've been thinking about in that series that happens that it's like why didn't that happen <laughs> that should have happened with everything that gets set up the way it does and the rules that get established you think a thing would happen but it doesn't happen and you just wonder why it didn't happen there's no good reason why anyway <laughs> but yeah man uh, at time of recording the next one of TJ's game is right around the corner. And so hopefully you'll be able to make it, Jason. Because uh, like I said earlier when I was talking to Hobbs, it's a, it's a sweet group, man. It's a sweet group. It'll be interesting to see what it's like with more people. That'll be curious. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that you're going to make it. But <clears throat> those, those vampire books are sweet. And... Thanks to this next call, I've been reading something else. So let's get into that. Hey, Joe. It's Anthony and a bunch of dogs calling in from the road. I just finished listening to your Vampire Diet episode and your description of the Immortal Night series. Uh, sounds you know, pretty entertaining. Uh, I felt, as I was you know, listening, that the author may have been influenced by you know, some some properties that I, I liked growing up. I don't know uh, if that's true or not, but you know there are some identifiable threads maybe. Uh, things like you know Blade, of course, and either Vampire the Masquerade or the things <laughs> that Vampire the Masquerade was heavily influenced by. And The Forever Night, which was a, a TV series. It started out as a, as a a movie starring Rick Springfield of all people, but then was reborn as a Canadian uh, American co-production set in Toronto 
which was a police procedural, except uh, one of the detectives was a vampire, a former crusader, and it was partly about the mysteries that they were solving, but very heavily about the toll that it takes uh, to try and regain your humanity after 800 years of uh, wrestling with the vampiric curse. So it was quite a, a dramatic, uh, very 80s appropriate uh, TV series. Great for angsty teenagers and, and uh, goths and recovering goths. <laughs> but I thought maybe if you hadn't heard of it, you might like a series written by Barbara Hambly. Uh, which is the James Asher series. You can find it uh, anytime you search for Barbara Hambly. Uh, they're on Audible and, and, uh, and the like. But uh, the first book in the series is Those Who Hunt the Night. And the series itself has two main characters. Uh, one of them the series is named for, which is James Asher. And uh, he is the main point of view character for the first novel and and becomes a partner in crime to his wife uh, as the series progresses as she gets roped into his investigations but obviously this is a a vampire story and it relies strongly on history and has a, a very interesting take on vampires and vampirism and how they survive down through the ages and, and what they might want from the humans upon which they feed. And the series is largely about uh, James and Mrs. Asher's struggles uh, with and sometimes for their vampiric acquaintances. <laughs> James Asher is a former intelligence officer or spy and uh, that's how he gets roped into all of this in the first place. So it's a long series uh, set uh, in Victorian times and then advances up uh, toward World War One. It's a pretty interesting uh, series and, uh, and well written and I think you know, maybe worth your time. Doesn't sound as wild or over the top or fantastical as this immortal knight, but it does have some gore, it has some great history, it has some strong characterizations, and it has some very cool vampires. Anyway, take care. It has some very, very cool vampires. <laughs> so I got this message from Anthony a few days ago. And I picked up the first book, Those Who Hunt the Night, and I read it, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It's, it's really, really good. It's, it's like he mentioned, like Anthony mentioned, it's not nearly as over-the-top or fantastical as the Immortal Night series, which is super, super gory. But... Like Anthony said, it's takes on vampires and vampirism and why they hunt and why they kill. It's good. The first book was awesome. I picked up the second book and I'm almost done with it. I, yeah, I'm like getting towards the end of it. Um, 
Yeah, so it's as he, it's about James Asher and his wife Lydia. And Lydia is this red-headed bookish glasses wearing science doctor researcher investigator awesome chick. She rules. Lydia's awesome, especially in the first in the second book she gets mean a couple times to people that don't deserve to be mean to <laughs> like this poor woman. This one time Lydia just kind of goes off on her for a good, a good reason, but it's still mean where you're like, damn Lydia, geez. <laughs> but these books are really, really cool. Uh, the second book, the first book is pretty much set all in England uh, the second book is a little more globe trotting, very go- cool stuff set in like yeah, as he mentioned, the early 1900s up into World War II. I really, really enjoyed it, man. Thank you, Anthony, for that recommendation. That's awesome, dude. It's awesome. I, I yeah, unfortunately, only the first two of these books are available on Audible. They don't have any rest of the series, but that's all right, man. Two's enough, right? <laughs> Two's enough. That first one was so good. The second one, I, I like the not quite as much as the first one. The first one just, I, I knew nothing about it going into the series other than what Anthony said. Um, and yeah, it blew me away a little bit. It really was like, oh, this is cool and interesting. I thought it was going to go a whole nother way. I thought it was going to go a whole different way. And it didn't go that way. And I was like, wow, this is this is what this book is. It's like friggin' James Bond, Jason Bourne, set in the early 1900s, meets friggin' Vampire the Masquerade. And it's awesome. <laughs> and it's awesome, man. It's totally, totally awesome. I highly recommend it. Check out Those Who Hunt the Night by Barbara Humbly. I think I'm probably saying that name wrong. <clears throat> I'll include the audible link in my show notes. That's the thing I can do <laughs> right on. Thanks again for that recommendation, Anthony. Great stuff. Let me get out of here. Yeah, this is a cool episode, man. Heard from Hobbs. We don't hear from him often. Thank you for that, Jason. That was really cool, man. <clears throat> Anthony, thanks for the sweet book recommendations. Jason, thanks for being you, dude. Uh, yeah, thanks, boys. That was that was great stuff, man. Gave me a lot of stuff to talk about. What else is going on? The Mariners have been eliminated from the playoffs. Baseball. Baseball playoffs are about to start. And Mariners lost at time of recording. They lost yesterday, so that eliminated them from the playoffs. That was a bummer, but it was a hell of a run. You know, their their main superstar, the guy you're supposed to be counting on in his last 10 games, went 4 for 28 with, like, 13 strikeouts. Just played like garbage. Uh, yeah, and when your main dude is playing real bad, it's hard to win. But, you know, they had a good season overall. What else, man? Not too much. Not a whole heck of a lot. It's been 
it's been a few days since I put out an episode, so that's cool. I'm glad I'm putting out another one. Getting ready for another week at work. That's pretty exciting. That's pretty exciting. This week I got um yeah, I got my colonoscopy coming up. I'm an old man getting a colonoscopy now. Uh so that should be pretty fun doing that Wednesday and Thursday. That should be a good couple days. Wednesday you you, you know, you got to do all the prep stuff. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Not super looking forward to that, but it'll be all right. It's it, you got to get that stuff done. You got to do that stuff. Um, it's really important to catch things like that. If there's anything to catch, you want to catch it ASAP as early as you can. So I'm on that train all day long, man. I'm all about it. And other than that, that's about it, man. That's about it. I'll try and record myself as soon as I come out of friggin' anesthesia or whatever. For the colonoscopy, that should be fun. <laughs> it's the first day of OSR October as I record this. It is October 1st, 2023. The second year of OS October, OSR October just started. Uh, the idea uh, invented by Rob from Down in the Heap, who actually has an episode out again, man. I can't wait to go listen to it. Uh, a lot of people are putting out content for OSR October. I see Pink Phantom and Jason and Red Dice Diaries and Menyon and Rob. Yeah, man, go check it out. It's OSR October. Say positive stuff about the OSR. That's cool. Um, Yeah, that's it, man. I'm going to get out of here. You guys have an awesome night. I hope everybody out there is doing well. Take care of yourselves. Take care of somebody else. And until next time, peace out.